if I get centered here. There we go. All right. So this is uh, episode 11 of the podcast. Uh, tonight we have Tracer Tactical on the show. Uh, sir, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and whatever you want to share. Yeah. What's going on, everyone? Uh, Tracer Tactical. I've been doing this uh, hard for about a year now. Um, we can you know, discuss whatever you guys want, uh, during the show, ask questions. Um, I'm a, uh, Marine, uh, Marine infantry 0311, which is a rifleman. Uh, I was active duty from 2002 to 2006. Um, dropped out of caught my first semester of college when September 11th happened. Um, I kind of knew I wanted to, to join the military prior to that, but, uh, 9-11 was like, got to go now. So, uh, I couldn't focus my first semester of college. So I just dropped out and enlisted. Uh, I did two years at eighth and I in Washington, DC, two years with one five and got out, did three years of surveillance as an investigator. Uh, then I got into the private security industry, started out on the EP side, transitioned into the technical side. And I've been doing consulting for the last three or four years or so. Uh, but but with the same company for about 12 years. So Tracer Tactical is a passion project turned into a business. And it's something, it's the it's my main hobby. It's what I work on when my kids go to bed. And uh, this last year has been nuts just with the growth and, and, you know, meeting people and networking. And I've had an awesome time and just been loving it. So, yeah. Very cool. Building gear and started working on my uh, my my mother-in-law's old sewing machine. Uh, I learned to sew when I was a kid. Uh, my mom taught me when I was about eight years old. Uh, started sewing like some really basic stuff. Um, and then when I was in high school, I did the whole paintball airsoft thing. And so I would I made some tactical gear on my mom's old machine. Broke a ton of needles sewing through. You know cordura and and things like that that were that the machine shouldn't have been able to handle uh, but she had a good machine though too it was uh it was a bernina 930 and those back in the 80s were like you know over a thousand dollar machines because it's all it's swiss made it's all you know metal gears um, unlike the singers that have a lot of a lot of those singers have plastic gears okay. uh, so it did have the torque to actually sew some decent stuff and I modded gear. I started out just modifying stuff. Um, I think the first like major piece of equipment that I made was uh, I used to get the old Blackhawk catalogs that yep. like were super fat and just had all, all these awesome pictures. Um, and so I used to just, you know, flip through that thing, drooling, looking at gear and stuff. And uh, I think the first thing that I made that was like that I was proud of was this drop leg MP5 mag holder with like the buckles that like each each individual mag had like a flap that would you know buckle um and that was like the first thing i made i cut up an old uh it was a uh uh so there was a military surplus store by my house and i i purchased an old cot cover that was made of like green it was like an od green cordura and i just cut it up and then that's how i got my because the the fabric stores like joann's and stuff they don't sell the cordura like they don't right. sell the type of cordura that you would need and i don't you know being a kid in high school i didn't know where to get it so i just 
found some material that was like, yeah, this is kind of like what it is. And I cut it up and that was that. So I actually didn't touch a machine for years and years and years. I mean, I made ghillie suits and stuff when I was in the Marine Corps. Um, and I, and I, one of the things that I, that I liked doing was I would cut the seam of the pant and then, and same thing with the arms. And then I would actually sew the skids on. So I would make the skids oh, cool. really nice. And then I would sew those on because I, I hated the way that shugu looked because the okay. shugu was all nasty and, and crusty and everything. And it was just a mess to work with. And I just thought that the sewing on those, those leg, the knee and the, uh, Uh oh, all right. So, uh, Tracer Tacticals uh, got a little bit of uh, internet connection issues, so he may be in and out throughout this episode. Uh, but nope, we got him back. So there we go. No worries. There we go. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Sorry if we have some uh, some cutouts. It's probably my fault. It's my internet's kind of shoddy out here. Um, so, anyways, yeah, I, I used to sew that stuff on, and then I would close up the legs and arms. Um, I would sew like the. Uh, the thumb loops so that your sleeves wouldn't ride up when you're crawling and everything. And I would make the veils and, um, cut a hole in the back. Um, and I actually used ghillie suits, um, when I was an investigator. So I did a lot of rural surveillance. Um, and so I was the guy that was in the field in a ghillie suit with like a spotting scope and a radio. And I was, uh, on the radio with another investigator who would be parked like a mile or so down the road. Cause we would work these cases in, uh, in areas where there wasn't any paved roads, right. And it's dirt roads. Um, a lot of, a lot of houses like that out in 29 Palms, um, out I'm, I'm in Southern California. So like when you go out to the desert, you get a lot of, you know, how <laughs> he will be back. I promise. Uh, just a couple seconds of the time there. Um, but by all means, if you guys have any questions as this is going going through, uh, please post them uh, in the, the messages, and we will absolutely answer them uh, as we continue to go on. I hope this doesn't keep happening like this. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, so I would I would be in a in a ghillie suit and uh, just like in a rural position for you know so that I could call in. Uh, the investigator when the claimant would leave. I worked, uh, all the cases that I did were workers comp. Okay. So nothing like cheating spouses or anything like that. This was all uh, workers comp fraud. Uh, so I did that for three years and then, yeah, a lot of, a lot of vehicle, vehicle surveillance. So uh, working out of my car all day, uh, just with a camera and following people into Walmart and getting video of them doing things they're not supposed to be doing. So it, I have some interesting stories with that job. Uh, it was really fun, but uh, it kind of capped out at a certain amount. And I found a job that basically started at that rate. So I just moved on and yeah. I still got gotcha. you. I think it's, I think part of this is my internet now too. So we'll... yeah, that was weird. That was like you cutting out. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds, uh, sounds like, uh, an interesting background. It's funny that 
that the things you mentioned were um, MP5 pouches and ghillie suit because mm -hmm. the first two things that I tried making were MP5 pouches and a ghillie suit. Um, <laughs> however, you started off, uh, you know, with a, a much better starting point in having at least somewhat appropriate fabric. I yeah. didn't have any idea, and it was hand-sewn felt with, like, half-inch elastic for the mag pouches, and it was terrible. Oh. It was what I had on hand, so... <laughs> yeah, you know, you know where I got my buckles? No. Out of shopping carts. Oh, okay. I, I got the webbing for the for that pouch and the buckles. I cut them off of some shopping carts. <laughs> They didn't know where to buy them, you know, and I'm like, oh, they, those are the same buckles and, and the webbing, the pieces of webbing on for the seatbelts on shopping carts. So that's that's a good spot to get it from. I, <laughs> I, was, yeah. I got into it right at the same time <laughs> when ITW had the sample program and you could just write on their website, like request ITW buckle samples and you could get like 15 of each of whatever SKUs you wanted. That's so. Cool. That was the way to go. But they never had, like, the Gillitex line. It was mm. always their, like, commercial or, or, like, hobby buckles. Yeah. So you're you're still doing Tracer as a hobby, correct? Well, I mean, it's a full-fledged business. It's uh, Right. So in, in uh, I started out as, as a just – so if anyone wants to know how I started, um, I started making some basic pouches, uh, pick pouches – with multi-cam black because I couldn't find a multi-cam black pick pouch anywhere. And a lot of the pick pouches that, that you buy online are made in China and they're cheap and they're not, they're just like these, you know, it's the pouch that comes with the kit. So it's, it's not made very well. Right. Um, and so I was like, and I was locked. So I, I'm in the security industry, right? So lock picking was a hobby of mine already. Um, and, I wanted to make some pick pouches. So I made some pick pouches and I made a couple of them and I actually shipped them to some people that I thought would like them. Um, they were really bad too. Like, like I look at the pictures like that I made, like the stuff that I made, cause I was making them on some piece of crap singer that uh, was barely working. Like, when I first started working the machine, like I was getting the nesting underneath, it was really bad and uh, just really frustrating. Like I was working with this machine that like, I should have just went out and bought like a $200 like heavy duty singer or something like that from Walmart. But I was determined just to make this thing work and it was working, I got it working pretty good. And so the first couple months is that's the machine that I used. And uh, anyways, I started selling those things on Venmo and eventually I was like, wow, like people want these. So I started up a DB as a DBA and I turned tracer tactical into a DBA. Uh, I was the sole proprietor. And then, uh, once I, I started making, I mean, over the summer, the course of the summer, I made a lot of different things, uh, playing around with different designs, different concepts, trying to like fill the void uh, in the market where, you know, things that I thought were cool that didn't exist. Um, and then the shoe tongues was like, once I started like, well, actually Matt, I, I had someone um, convince me to start making masks and I didn't really want to do it. I was like, no nah, masks, like that's boring. I don't I don't really want to do it. But then when I made one and then I put it up, like, does anyone want to buy this? 
it blew up. I was like, wow, like people want to buy a multicam black mask. Like that's what sold the most was nice. the multicam black mask, right? So I sold a ton of those. That was like the first product that I sold a ton of. And then uh, I ran out of the base mask. I was using, a, I was getting the mask from Golden Tiger Works in Hawaii. And he started, he stopped selling them. Like where he was getting the masks, he's, he was like, we're not doing these anymore. So I was like, okay, I couldn't find a mask that I liked to sew the, it was just a piece of Cordura with the mil-spec mesh as a vent. Okay. And I'd put a wire in it, um, some 18-4, you know, wire to help, you know, close the nose. Um, but then, I mean, I just stopped. I was like, I'm, I'm not doing these anymore. I, I can't find a mask that I like. I don't feel comfortable selling, you know, something that I'm getting off, you know, somewhere um, that's not that good. Because the masks that I was getting were comfortable. I liked them a lot. They were easy to work with. And I was still using my old machine at that point to sew them on. Um, so anyways, that was like, that was like the first product that I sold a lot of. And then, um, thanks to COVID, uh, and then also because of COVID, that's what allowed me to start this because I was working from home, um, which gave me more time because I wasn't commuting into work because my normal commute, uh, was, I was spending two to three hours in my car every day. Okay. Uh, Cause I, my, my office where I was working was like almost 40 miles from my house. So I was driving like 80 miles round trip every day. And so I spent a lot of time in my car, um, having that free time allowed me to pursue other things. And, um, I also used to golf a lot too. Like before, before tracer tactical, I was obsessed with golf. So, uh, and I, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I learned in pursuing and trying to get good at golf, I've applied to Tracer Tactical. Um, when it comes to like mastery of anything, uh, you just got to put in the hours. Like you, like if I could make, like if I had to pick something that was extremely hard, I'd say golf is probably one of the hardest things out there to get good at. Like you have to just put in the time, like the reps. It's just like anything else, right? Like you got to put the reps in. Um, and, and golf is hard because it's, it's expensive. Yep. It's extremely time consuming. Um, and once I started putting the amount of time and energy into this, my own business, I was like, wow, this is starting to pay off. And, and golf was like a time suck and a money suck. And you don't really get anything out of it, you know, unless you're trying to go pro or something, which is like nearly impossible. Um, but this was like, I was starting to see, a lot of progress being made with the amount of time that I was putting into sewing and just trying to get good at what I'm doing. Um, and then the, the shoe tongues, once I started, once I did the shoe tongues, uh, that first chunk of money that I made off of those, I, uh, I took that, I converted the business to an LLC. I got my logo and my name trademarked. And I also actually, got a patent on the design for those shoe tongues. It's a design patent, which protects the shape of the product. Okay. We can talk a little bit about that too. Cause I've talked to, I've talked to some people in the soft goods industry about patents. They, they say they're worthless and everything. I don't, I don't think they're totally worthless because one, it says that you're serious about your product and what you do. Um, and it's basically a, like a moat that protects it. Right. So anyone that tries to, I've had some people try and copy it. 
uh, but no one is, I haven't found anyone at least yet that is trying to copy it and sell it. Okay. And so I actually do own the patent for the design of that product. And if someone tried to sell it, I would have some legal ground to stand on and at least uh, try to prevent someone from doing that. So uh, it's a, I think it's a unique product, but it's a crossover product too. So it's not like a chest rig or like a, uh, you know, a pouch, a magazine pouch, which there are two different types of patents. There's a design patent and then there's a utility patent. So a design patent protects the shape, whereas a utility patent protects how it's used, how something is used, like the intention of how something's used. Okay. Uh, utility patents are extremely expensive. I think they range up towards like $20,000, all said and done. Um, and then you got to be very, very specific when you write those out. Though so it is sort of true, like you could change one little thing and now all of a sudden it's a different design. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, so I mean, I, I have an attorney that he's the same guy that helped me uh, set up the trademarks for the logo and the name. He also did the patent. So very cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know of any, you know, without without like getting into like the real big names not that you're not a big name but like the eagles and the cries and stuff i don't know mm -hmm. if i've ever talked to anybody or had a conversation about some with somebody that has a patent uh, so that's pretty interesting uh while we're waiting for uh tracer to pop back in robert uh the desert tiger stripe cries uh i would assume they'll be available for purchase uh because they said they will be uh, but I would imagine they will sell out super quick. Sorry, I cut out for a sec, I think. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so what I was just saying is I don't think I've talked to anybody that actually has bothered to patent anything, and I, th I think what you said rings true. A lot of people think purely on the, the utility side and that they're, they're useless. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I've heard of anybody doing that. That's pretty neat that you... Well, the, the only reason why I felt comfortable doing it was because it's such a simple product, right? It is so simple. It is it is two pieces of fabric with a little lace loop in it, right? And it's it's a Velcro closure. Um, there are other pro. I mean, I I didn't invent hiding things in your shoes. Um, in fact, a lot of the inspiration from that product came from. Uh, the Chad Muska shoe, which uh, back in the late 90s, he was a professional skater that had a zipper pocket in his tongue for hiding his weed. And uh, I mean, it's like people have been hiding shoe, hiding things in their shoes since the beginning of time. So it's like, it's not a new concept. Uh, but a lot of what blew that up too was um, the Bureau of Homeland Security put out a notice. They put out a bulletin to officers in several states and i think it started in florida and uh someone a state trooper from texas also sent it to me and said hey i just got this in my inbox uh they're warning us about your product and so i posted that on my instagram you can go back in my feed and look at it i think i've posted it like twice but hilarious it was like free advertising like it had pictures of the product it had my link to the <laughs> website and i was like holy cow this is hilarious you know they were they were Uh, he will be back for sure. Um, 
but yeah, I think the 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 cries will will sell out. Um, I don't know how big the quantity is or anything like that. So, um, tactical distributors has been doing them, and I'm sure they'll bring them back. There we go. So free advertising from Homeland Security. Yeah. On your, yeah, yeah. So your tongue was, pocket. Right? That was funny. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's well, the reason why it's like. Uh, I've talked about this with a few people. It's a crossover product that, you know, like it's different than a chest rig. So a chest rig, obviously the only people that are buying chest rigs are people that have M4s or, you know, AR-15s or, uh, uh, it, or airsoft if you're doing airsoft, but right. you have to have a weapon in order to rock a chest rig, unless you're going to use it for running or something, which is kind of rare, but, um, with the shoe tongue, everyone wears shoes and not only does it have some utility with the pocket, but it makes your shoes look cool. So it's like, you don't have to put anything in them. If you just want to, you know, use, use the tongue. I do it. I do it all the time. I like, I'll put like multi-cam shoe tongues in my shoes and then I'll put multi-cam laces in it and it makes my shoes look cool. So it's like, you know, you don't need to hide stuff in your shoes. It's just, it's, it's a pure fashion thing too. So, I mean, that's what, that's why I think it's done. Makes sense. Uh, if you're, if you're just joining in late, uh, we're talking about the, the covert tongue insert, uh, from Tracer Tactical and, uh, how he got some free advertising from Department of Homeland Security. on that time all right there we go there we go all right so yeah so uh so yeah not only not only is it a crossover product uh, meaning it 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 sells outside of the industry that we're in the tactical industry but it's at a price point where a lot of people it's just like a, an impulse buy right so people are just like yeah you know 25 bucks whatever um which which i'd like to bring that cost down if i can um but a lot of my product pricing is based on timing. And so right. what, what it costs, um, if I sold it for anything, any less, it would almost be, it would, it would be hard for me to justify the timing. Makes sense. Yeah. I, uh, I've, I've had that conversation with, with a couple different people about different products that they make and, and that disconnect between sometimes disconnect between the buyers and the builders and you you have a, a very clear you know labor cost that you mm -hmm. need to pay yourself but then on the customer side the utility of it sometimes doesn't doesn't balance out based on the scale of the, the item yeah i gotta it's it has to be priced at a point where it's not going to be a chore for me every time i have to build it i have to be somewhat motivated to do this yep right if i'm not motivated to build it then i'm not going to build it and no product will exist. So makes total has, sense. It has to be at that level where I, I get excited about building it every time. You know, so makes sense. I want I want to take uh, just a couple seconds here and kind of step away from the gear uh, because you brought up the the kind of crossover aspect of the the tongues, and you your Instagram page I believe is a just over a year old year and a half between there. Um, 15,000 followers, um, yep. which is 
is crazy. Do you think that the, the crossover aspect of the tongues helped you get to that point? Or are you just, have you, have you intentionally focused on, on trying to build that audience? Um, so I think I'm going to give a lot of credit here to the special projects community. Um, you know, they have been a resource, uh, as far as networking goes for me, just, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm right about the same amount of followers as SPC, which is, uh, I don't know if anyone, if everyone doesn't follow SPC, you can go look it up. Um, special projects community is the handle when you, when you go search on Instagram and, uh, all the, all the people that the account follows, those are the members. Um, and there's some big names, um, in that group. And we have a private chat and we all talk on the daily. Um, I've met up with several of the guys in person. Um, and so, you know, we've become friends over this last year too. And I think April 1st was like the first year anniversary. Um, but uh, they have been a huge support network for me. Um, I've had a lot of support from um, Ed's manifesto Ed, Ed Calderon. He's uh you know, he's got 280 something thousand followers now. Um, he's the one that really pushed me into the chest rig game. Because uh, I was just doing a lot of like covert type products, small, you know, pockets and pouches and straps and things like that. And he asked me, um, he was like, hey, can you pull off a chest rig? And I was like the first big, I haven't, I hadn't built anything that big yet. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, I can do that. Like, I, ha I have an idea in my head of how I would design it. Um, and so I, he was like, yeah, build me one. So I was like, okay, I built him one and I kind of cringe at the design now and, and how I built it. Um, but that's what really pushed me to, to do that. And I think it's like with any group that you're in, um, you're going to rise to the level of the people that you're, you're hanging out with. Right. And all those guys are, um, uh, CEOs of their own company will, you know, they're all entrepreneurs in some way or another. A lot of them own businesses. Um, a lot of them have, uh, you know, specialized skills in different um, arenas that kind of complement each other. Uh, the, the industry that we're in right now, whether it be communications, lock picking, uh, you know, knife making. Um, I'm the only one that's sewing. Actually, uh, Hobo, Hobo Tactical, um, he makes these pouches. So he's sewing, um, but he's pr primarily working with leather. Okay. Um, but I'm the only one sewing uh, tactical gear in that group. And in the beginning, I I, uh, I spent a lot of time getting feedback from those guys and people. And um, and over the over the course of the year, I have sent so many free products out to people that I want to promote it. Um, other guys like that aren't affiliated with SPC that have given me a lot of good following too is like uh, Multicam Black Gang, right? So he was one of the first guys that I sent some Multicam Black pick pouches to, and he posted on his page or like, you know, anyone that's going to you have to take advantage of, of Instagram because it's free advertising, right. right? So so I from a selfish standpoint, I can send someone some free product. And they're going to post it um, if they like it. I can if they don't like it, they're not going to post it. Um, I'm not paying. I've never paid anyone to post anything or say anything good about my stuff. I just say, hey, would you want to free this, whatever it is, and I'll send it to you. I'll build it and I'll send it to you. 
Um, and I take my time and I design it um, and I build it like I was building it for myself. And so, um, yeah, I mean, other guys like more recent, um, uh, you know, Jerry PDKA, he's part of SPC. He's, he's big in the gun world, the tactical world. Um, he lives like 20 minutes from me. And so collabing with him on the DSM, uh, that was the directional swift mag pouch. We made three variants of those, um, one for my rig and the Spiritus rig, one for the Haley rig and one that would, uh, work with any Molly rig. Okay. Um, and we designed that in my garage. We like the first night we, we met up, I think we spent like six hours together with on a whiteboard and like in, in front of my machine, just building and like trying some different stuff and then putting it on him and like he would like test it and, and run it and then uh several weeks you know went by and he took some um some prototypes to the range and and actually you know t&e'd those on the range and then he would come back and say hey I, didn't, I don't like this or you know this worked but we can we can improve it by you know tightening it up here or you know um just back and forth over the course of like a month and um within within like a month we had like three very solid products and we just launched so and then other guys like uh mike knockout lights you know he's he's big in the gun world too and um he's got like 330 something thousand followers um i gave a chest rig to him he liked it he rocks it and that's free advertising for me so um i think those types of people networking there we go uh, <laughs> getting getting your product into the hands of people that are going to um help you you know and so uh but yeah it's been nuts i i never when i started this i never ever ever thought it would grow this fast and I think I've been averaging like over, I think it's like around 1200 new followers every month. Wow. Um, so, I mean, that's, yeah, within, within about a year I've, I've reached, you know, 15,000 and, um, I have ran, I've tested the, the, uh, the ads on Instagram, you know, I've spent like a couple hundred dollars on running ads. Like I, I would run a sponsor on a post or something to see how, uh, how much traffic that brings in? Does it increase sales? And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I, I think for the most part, it doesn't really help with sales, mm -hmm. but it does bring traffic to your website and to your uh, your account. And if you have an attractive account with some cool photos, then people are going to follow you. Yep. So I think it's a lot of it's presentation, and also um, like spending time with the with the triple feed guys who they're a production company and seeing how they like take photos and stuff like that's helped me with my photography okay uh, just with like lighting and stuff and and uh, you know knowing how to uh some very you know basic like hey here's how you make the post more attractive um there's so many little things that you don't think about when you start a business that you kind of learn over the course of, I mean, I've been, you know, a year now and I'm still learning things daily. Like, um, you know, what, what makes my products, you know, move, what, what's going to move the, the product too. And, and, you know, I, I could spend more time pushing certain products, but, um, this has been such a creative outlet for me that 
sometimes I'm, I'm still trying to find that balance of focusing on the products that are doing well and refining those and building versus creating new stuff. And you got to do both. Like you got to, you really got to keep doing the improving and the, and, and you got to sell like the stuff that's doing well, but you also got to keep innovating and creating if you want to stay um, ahead of the curve, you know? So it's, uh, it's a lot, it's challenging and it's exhausting. Um, it's been a grind. Um, there are some nights where I'm, I'm most nights I'm, I'm up late. I'll say that, um, I, over this, over the course of the last year, I have gotten the least amount of sleep ever in my life. Like, like less than any, uh, any other time in my life. Um, I have gotten less sleep because of this, because of tracer tactical. I've, I have like probably on average get about four hours of sleep a night. So, uh, my body has adjusted. Like, <laughs> I'm a zombie when I wake up in the morning, but after a cup of coffee, I'm fine. And yeah. I, I push through the day. Um, and I like have developed an insane tolerance to caffeine, but that's about it. Um, yeah it's been totally worth it. So I feel you on all those points. So. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got three kids too. So I got a, uh, I, I actually started the business like right before my daughter was born, my last daughter. So I have a, I've got a six year old, my, my son will be turning seven, um, in a month and I've got a four year old girl and another uh, one year old girl. So awesome. Yeah, I feel you there too. So I'm, yeah, uh, I got sitting on four right now. And, oh my god, yeah, yeah, you're busy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if anybody out there is is wondering why these happen so late at night, especially this one, it's because uh, kids, uh, kids as great as they are, suck the life out of you during the day, and you got to wait for them to go to bed. So. Yeah, yeah, and it's also you got to prioritize. I mean, uh, I I have to give a ton of credit to my wife. Um, you know, Tracer Tactical would not exist if my wife wasn't taking care of the kids um, every single night, allowing me to come out here and build because like she's the one. Yeah. Uh, while we wait for that, we'll we'll take a question here um, from Angry Panda and we'll hopefully get Tracer's input when he gets uh, back in here. Uh, current state of the industry is going to slick your covert products thoughts. Um, I, I would be so bold as to say, I think that Pharaoh uh, kicked that off with the slickster. And I don't think that it is a, I don't think it's a function that's, that's driven that shift. I think it is a pricing thing. Um, and I'll expand on that here. Uh, just a little bit. Uh, so uh, while you dropped off there, we, I popped up a question here about okay. um, current state of industry going to slick and covert products. Mm. Uh, and and I, my, my theory is that I think the Slickster uh, really, really kickstarted that. And, and I think it was a function of price more than anything, right? Because when the Slickster came out and it wasn't constantly out of stock, like you could get into one for about 140 bucks. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think once that happened, kind of everybody is now playing catch up that they got the Slickster and they're like, this is cool because I can afford it, but now I can't carry what I need. So I got to add X, Y, and Z. And that kind of 
brought in the whole minimalist chest rig and placard thing. Yeah. And we're slowly getting getting back to the point now where people are realizing that, hey, maybe I do need some molly on my stuff to actually carry what I want to carry. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I do, I do think it was a, a price thing that drove that and not so much people understanding what they want or what they need and, and that covert or slick things were the right thing for that. And uh, <clears throat> going in line with, uh, with Michael's comment here about uh, the covert fed being overrated, I, I absolutely agree. Um, that's, that's not to say that there, there's not a reason to have a more slick kit, but I don't think a lot of people realize what they're getting into there. Um, and you, you were talking about uh, refining your existing products and, and still innovating at the same time. So let's, uh, let's talk about one of your more recent innovations, uh, the plate bags. Um, yeah, so um, let me see. Where did I? I actually have, well, I've posted them. So you, I, they're sitting up there, but uh, <laughs> there's like four of them, actually. I think, or actually not five. There were, it started out as one design and then I, within like, I think four days, I, I like changed it like four times. Cause I kept, I kept building it. I'd build it and I'd be like, no, I can improve it this way. And then I'd build it again. No, I want to change this. Um, and so from, from the first prototype until now, the one that we're launching, I think it's been revised like five times. Um, and so. And that's just build. I mean, you, you've got to build stuff and try it out um, in order to a lot of I think a lot of people um, spend too much time on the design side. They like spend like a long time designing something and then it sits for a long time and they don't build it. Um, and I, I've always I know some people that, have you know, they have these ideas. Oh, I thought of that. But then I built this and. Um, it took me a year and a half to go. I'm like a year and a half. Like, how does, how does anything take you a year and a half, an idea? Like if you have an idea, sketch it out, build it and then refine it. And I mean, you can have like a refined product in a couple of days. Like it doesn't take, nothing should take a year and a half right. a product, right? Because if you just get, He will be back again. Um, yeah, Robert, I, I think you're right. Um, you know, Civi side slick if you're carrying you know, three mags to the range or even just plates and then belt kit, you know, slick, slick stuff can make a lot of sense. But uh, as soon as you start getting into to professional use, then you got to really, really look at what you need to carry. And um, I don't know, it can have its, its place. Uh, I would use a slick plate carrier for just, just plates uh, on the range sometimes. So it can have its place for sure. And I think we got Tracer halfway back in the studio. Uh, so he's still, still loading there. Um, but yeah, eventually you get to the point where, where you overload that, that slick uh, carrier where you, you do enough tweaks to it that now you, you have no longer justified that, that need. <clears throat> Sorry. I don't know what's going on. No, no worries at all. We're making it work. Okay. We've got, we got enough <laughs> okay. oddball questions here. So, okay. 
Anyways, uh, what I was, I'll just finish that, that thought. Um, when you refine a product, obviously there, you, you get to a point where you're happy with it. Right. And so, um, I was happy with the chest rig, uh, or sorry, the, the plate bag and the way it, it worked with the chest rig. Um, but, um, actually, hold on. I got to turn this power on real quick. There we go. Um, so I was happy with, with the plate bag at a certain point, And then, um, I got in contact with, uh, a, another friend in the industry who had just gotten a laser and I was like, Hey, could you laser cut this chest panel for me so it can incorporate a juggernaut? He was like, yeah, no problem. And the timing worked out to where it was like, he got the laser, like right when I was about to launch. And I made this, I made the decision to do a last minute change. Um, and it took a lot longer than I thought. Um, but they're being made. I'm, I'm like, I'm working my way through them. Uh, I'm way happier with the way they are now. I feel, I feel better releasing them late in a, in a way that I'm completely happy with that'll have that feature. Um, and it also, the way the, the webbing, the, the strap loops go through that chest panel, cause it's got squadron and Velcro laser cut to where, the webbing goes through the middle and actually gives some play on both sides so that when you're running the straps through, it's not a super tight fit. Like there's a little bit of give and because there's tweeve on the back, the, the Sam two product, it gives this stretch, this nice stretchy feel. So when you're, if you're shoving really wide chest rig straps through or a backpack strap, there's some nice stretch to it. So just the whole, the whole, the way that everything came together, um, I'm really happy with, and I think people are going to be happy with the product. It's a very, very slick product. Um, if you want to go slick, because it's, it's so slick that like it, I tried fitting it into a, a carrier with it on, it's almost like a skin, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you put the skin on the bag and then if you wanted to, you could slide that into another carrier, depending on the carrier. Um, I think it'll work with like the spiritus carrier, or if you size up, um, it'll definitely work. Like if you have medium plates and you put it into a large plate carrier, you could, um, uh, I'm not, I don't think there's a reason why you'd want to do that unless you wanted to, uh, for some reason go super low. Like you wanted to wear just the plates because the, the, the plate bag, um, the way I designed it is it's got, I got one, I got one right here. Let me see. This one doesn't have a plate in it right now, but i'll show you so this this was another add-on and then these guys too so you can actually attach the split bar buckles directly right here oh cool and same thing right here which allows you to run the the plate bag with just very minimal straps you don't have to have the chest rig holding it to you you can connect the straps directly to the bag um, and that was just, you know, adding these little loops right here, uh, allows you to do that. I could have left these off, but it's, you know, it doesn't get in the way of anything. If you're putting a chest rig on this with the straps that go through, right. Um, it's going to cover everything up anyways. And, um, it was just another little ad. This is what I was talking about with the give. So this is one piece. Oh, okay, cool. 
And see how it slides? That's awesome. So it slides now. And there's actually a piece of squadron sewn. You can't really see it, but it's, it's black. And it's sewn underneath this piece of Velcro to add strength. And it's tacked down, you know, here and then here. So that when you shove the juggernaut underneath, the, the pieces of material don't separate. Okay. Cool. So... But yeah, um, I, these will be shipping out soon. Um, uh, I can't wait to get them out to people. Um, it's probably, you know, it's, I, I originally wanted to ship these in like February and we are now in the middle of March, or I mean, April. And I'm like, these got to go, like they got to <laughs> go now. Um, but I had way more orders too than I anticipated, like double the amount of orders. So that's awesome. I'm glad they're selling. Uh, yeah, it's been weird though. Like, um, they haven't been selling a lot lately. It was like a big, probably because I, like, everyone that was interested got them. Yeah. And now they're just waiting. And so, uh, and also, like, there's been other things in the in the industry that have probably swayed people to buy other uh, carriers, like, uh, you know, the the T Rex uh, AC Uno <laughs> that was for 140 bucks, or like. Um, which it which is crazy to me. There, that's a whole nother conversation. But um, just for shits and giggles, I was trying to log on to that website to see if I could even just get one in my shopping cart. Yeah, I tried all day and I couldn't. Yeah. So part of me was like, "Is this an April Fool's joke?" Because like I tried all day and I could not get, I couldn't even get to the checkout. Yeah. Like, how do you sell three thousand or thirty five hundred plate carriers in twenty four hours? That's like almost half a million dollars in plate carriers if they were selling for 140 a piece. Yeah. Uh, is that real? I don't know. Or was it some big crazy marketing thing? Who I'm, knows? I'm still trying to figure that out. I, <laughs> that, that entire product confuses me to no end. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I got thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't held. I haven't actually held one. Uh, I know. I knew a few people that that have them, and they say they're, you know, they're they're good for the money. Um. So, uh. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. just. I don't know what to believe. <laughs> so. I also have not held one, and that is about the only reason that I that I don't feel comfortable, like super specifically stating my stance on that one. But. Yeah. Yeah. But. But yeah, so like other things, I mean, obviously with companies, uh, I know Spiritus has been really good about restocking lately, um, even though buying a, a plate carrier from them, uh, which I do have one. Um, I have I have an LV uh, 119 and it's a great product and but it is, it's expensive. Like once you get the front plate bag, the back plate bag, the cummerbund, um, I think it ends up being like, you know, like $265 or something like that, yep. uh, which is. Yeah. So, uh, we're talking on after, after tax, you're looking at close to 300, but, uh, but again, I mean, it's, it, it all depends on, on what you need and what you want. Um, you know, one thing I do want to say is that, uh, that this plate bag, was uh, not designed to replace a dedicated plate carrier. Um, a plate carrier, a lot of the, the way that a lot of the plate carriers were built 
um, or are built are designed to take a lot of abuse. And this was more made to be extremely light, uh, modular, uh, give you an option. It's something that you can hide in a backpack and then attach to a backpack. Like you don't need to wear, um, uh, you don't need to uh, wear a back plate to, you know, that was the other thing too, is, is how could I develop a product that gets people into the armor game where they only have to buy one plate? You know, um, you can buy one plate and, and a backpack and, or buy a back a backpack, uh, insert, which are yep. very affordable. I think, a, a a defender armor backpack insert is like 180 bucks. I know the Haley flat pack, that one's like 180. I think they actually, you can get one for like a vertex bag for like 150 for a three, a, uh, armor insert. And then you can rock a three, a, you know, plate and, and this, which is $80. Um, and you're, you've got full coverage and a very low pro, uh, setup to where if you didn't want people knowing you were, you had armor on you, um, you take the front bag off and put it in your backpack and, and throw this on if you wanted to, especially if it's black, you know, there, it's going to be very hard to see. Um, this was custom made. This is dynamic fuzz. Um, he's super into the man, the mandrake stuff. Okay. He actually sent me some mandrake material. Um, and this is one of one right here. I'm not, I'm not selling mandrake, uh, <laughs> plate bags. That was a special build for him. So I, I think, and this isn't just saying this because, because you're on the show tonight, but I think that, you know, last year's, maybe even 2019, I can't remember when it came out. Like the big product for me that year was the, the cry air light radio pouch that fit with the SPC and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, but like your your plate bags, when I saw them the first time, I just I think it is such a a cool concept, and it makes so much sense in the progression of what people can buy, mm -hmm. right? Like so many people were buying plate carriers because that like that's the base, right? Like right. people think they need the plate carrier first, and then they're scrambling to find ways to make the plate carrier work for them. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't really work to piecemeal it starting with the plate carrier, but to be able to have a chest rig and, and use it to train, use it to hunt if that's your thing or airsoft or whatever you're doing with it. And, and to get like what you, the equipment dialed in that you need to carry or you want to carry and then be able to, after the fact, pay $75 for a plate bag and buy one plate and now you have some frontal protection and then, all right, now I can save up a little bit more and I can go get another plate bag and another plate because for whatever reason, plates are sold singularly yeah. now. Or, or a flat pack. Yep. That's why, that's why I sell, I've sold a lot of the front ones only because uh, if they're rocking a flat pack, um, which I have, it's, it's actually a very comfortable way to run your armor. Um, okay. Just, to, just with the flat pack, the, the, the Haley, the, the defender Haley insert, um, and then, uh, a chest rig with, with this on the front and it connects perfectly with the flat pack. Um, and it's a very, the flat pack, you don't even need chest rig straps. The flat pack straps will go right through. Okay. You connect to your chest rig. Um, uh, it's a very comfortable way to do it. I, I've done it myself and I actually have a video on my 
Instagram that shows how fast you can take this off um, and then still be running your chest rig with your flat pack and just throw this in the flat pack if you wanted to like, you know, go light or something if you, you just wanted to ditch your armor. Um, a lot of SWAT snipers too have been interested in this because a lot of departments require them to have their armor with them, but okay. not necessarily wear it. Um, because they're kind of, you know, they're, uh, they're removed from the, the, uh, uh, what's it called the action, right? They're kind of like back aways. So in, in case they need to make an entry to a building, they need to have their carrier with them, their armor to go into a, uh, and to go into a building. But a lot of those guys aren't wearing it because they're in the prone position somewhere far away or up on a building to where it's uncomfortable to lay in the prone with armor on. Mm-hmm. Uh, this allows you to uh, take your armor on and off very fast and throw it in your backpack. Um, and it's just a very light way of, of carrying armor. You know, you don't need a, a cummerbund will work with this. You can, you can, you can totally wear a cummerbund and, and, you know, treat it like a normal uh, plate carrier, but it's, it's not needed. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, I think it's a really cool idea. And, and I'm, I'm glad that it, that it was well received because um, it's it's pretty out there as far as a concept that I can't remember anybody really having done before mm-hmm. in in any form or fashion. I've I haven't. Well, it's funny. Um, after I did it, uh, Taylor with Dynamic Fuzz, he was like, yeah, I, I actually made one like a year and a half ago and he showed me a picture of it. He's like, I just couldn't get it. Uh, I couldn't get traction with it or, or I built one and just, you know, never, or maybe he said, cause he used to work for STAC and I think he said he pitched the idea to STAC and they weren't really about it. And because a lot of, I mean, if you think about it from a production standpoint, like I'm making one of these, if I make two of these, how much more work is it just to keep these, these uh, slits right here open and add the straps? Yeah. Right. And now I'm selling the whole thing, but now I got to double the price. So I just wanted to make it mod. I know a lot of people have chest rigs and that's what people start with. You start with a chest rig because it's affordable. Yeah. Um, our armor is very expensive. And so a lot of people don't have armor. Um, same thing with helmets. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to show people a way to get a helmet for very cheap, which is why I did all those videos on the, uh, the CVC 132B helmets. Okay. Um, Trace, we'll, uh, we'll hope that we get them back. There we go. So, yeah, so I wanted to, I wanted to share that knowledge. Uh, I mean, if you have the money, by all means, go get some good armor, go get a good helmet. Um, but you're going to be in, you know, several thousand dollars um, after the fact, by you know, getting an opt core or whatever. Um, I know there's some companies like hard-headed veterans that have some more affordable helmets, like that are like 500 bucks. I don't know about how how good those helmets are, but um, those those helmets that you can get off eBay for 50 bucks, um, the 132Bs, those were designed for the United States military, and they are 3A rated. And we actually took one to the range and shot it to prove that it does stop rounds so um a lot of the uh the company that actually had the the um 
the contract for that was uh, a company that was working under Gentex, and Gentex is the company that builds helmets for. I mean, they're Opscore. Gentex yeah. is Opscore. So it's the same type of helmet, just uh, it's a shell, right? And you got to kind of mod it a little bit. But you buy a fifty dollar airsoft helmet, you can take out the guts and the straps and attach it to that, and you're going to have a functional helmet for about a hundred bucks. Yep, it's a good bargain. <laughs> Especially like, you know, with with uh, with the state of things uh, over this past year with the civil unrest and everything, like everyone's scrambling to get kitted up. And so if you don't have the cash to uh, to buy a two thousand dollar helmet, that's that is just a way to get some protection if you needed a helmet. Absolutely. So. And that's cool that you're you're sharing that with people and uh, and helping them you know, find, find the economic way to get into this stuff. So. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I think, uh, you know, for me, building gear has been so rewarding. Um, and it's not that difficult to get into if you really, really wanted to, uh, test your, you know, test some of your ideas or, or get into building gear. My, my recommendation would be to go to try to find a free machine, first of all, or go on eBay or, or, even just buy like a $200 machine and just start sewing and seeing if it's something that you like doing. Um, because you have to, you have to get the basics down before you can start progressing into some of the more complicated builds. But if it's something that you enjoy doing, you're probably going to, um, have some, you could, you could do something with it. Right. If it's not something you're interested in, you're probably going to ditch it and, and stop doing it. Um, but for me, it's been like, um, it's, it's turned into a, like a passion of mine now, like designing and building gear is, is something that I really enjoy doing. It's like, when I get an idea, I become like this mad scientist. And like, <laughs> I, my wife says, I get like this crazy look in my eye and I'm like, I just had an idea. And I'm like, I got to get out to the garage and I got to, you know, you know, this is my shop right here. So I'm like, I got to get out here and like build, you know, and get this thing built as fast as I can. And I'm like scrambling to like, get it made. And, and that's, a, that's the other thing too, is if you're already doing this, if you're already building gear um, and you have an idea, build it, uh, build it and get it out there. And, um, but also you got to kind of be strategic about it too. Like if it's a really, really good idea, like, like when I had the plate bag idea, I was like, okay, this is how I want to design it. Um, I think I sat on it for maybe like three days. I drew it on my whiteboard. And I stared at it for three days, like, okay, yeah. And I was like, I felt good. And, uh, and then uh, once I made it, though, I, I had to make sure that I was capable of producing many of them. Because if you have an idea, but you can't bring it to market, someone's going to steal it. Yep. Um, and that's part of the thing that I've learned about this industry in general is that uh, it's 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 cutthroat. It's very difficult to uh, to gain traction um, in the industry because if you if you have a great idea but you don't have the following or you don't have the means to crank out a hundred fast, right? Then someone's going to take that concept and they're going to mass produce it, and now you're like, yeah, that was my idea, but like. How does, how are you going to prove it because of a post? Um, I mean, that's another thing too, is, is it, with Instagram, it's very interesting too, because like 
people try to claim things and they're like, Oh, that's my idea. And like this whole thing with intellectual property and like, like if, if Instagram didn't exist, there would be people releasing similar products all over the place. Yep. But it's like, it's like there's this little ecosystem um, in like a pecking order almost that exists uh, that you got to kind of learn to follow if you want to be a player in the game. Like, that's another thing too. I've, I've seen uh, like people that just copy other designs and that's fine if you want to do that, but that'll only take you so far. Um, especially if you start getting into production, yep. if you wanted to outsource your design to a company that is going to build your design, you can't do that with a copy of someone else's. So you're stuck building that copy. You're, you're, if, if you, turn your business into, oh, I just copy these designs, but I make them in all the patterns that aren't offered. You can totally do that, um, but you're going to burn yourself out eventually doing that. And no company is going to take you on or no cut and sew shop is going to take you on and say, yeah, we'll do a hundred of these for you. That makes a lot of sense. It's going to be, it's going to be very difficult to grow if you can't, uh, bring your designs to market. So, uh, and I've learned, and, I, and I've I've had ideas, or I've had people come to me that um, that I thought were like original, and I built something, and then someone says, "Hey, that's actually I've made I've been making that for a year," and I'm like, "Oh," and then like you lose all your steam with that product, <laughs> and then, but then that's that's part of the industry, right? And you wouldn't know unless um, you know if you didn't post it on Instagram, you wouldn't know. Um, but that's how you network too. Like you got to kind of, if you want to be in this industry and like make a name for yourself, you got to play by these rules that kind of exist. And like, it's weird. You got to kind of learn how to stay in your lane when it comes to certain things. Yeah. Uh, pay respects to the people that, that came up with certain ideas or, or that do one thing really, really well. Um, but the minute you start like copying people, uh, you're, you're gonna you're gonna get some resistance and it's gonna be hard to grow i think um that's part of the other thing the other reason why i think i've i've been able to grow as fast as i have is because uh i when i when i found out that a design of mine was a copy or very similar to someone else's i gave that person credit and moved on from it mm -hmm. like give the person credit that was that has been doing it before you and then move on with something else like there's enough, there's enough, um, voids in the market. I agree. Yeah. I, I, I think finding, finding your, like your unique thing yeah. is, is the way to go for sure. Yeah. I've built probably like, I, I think I have like, I don't know, like almost 300 variants when it comes to like all the colors and stuff, but I, I definitely have, you know, pro over 30 products, but maybe out of, out of those 30 products, there's like five that sell really well. And so, which, which make me unique. And I found my little niche in the industry and that's what I need to focus on is, is that, and maybe along the way, as I'm doing that, I find, um, a new idea or, you know, then I, I start building from that, but, uh, yeah, that's just my advice to anyone wanting to get into this is, um, obviously it's fine to copy people, uh, if you're building stuff just to learn and, and like, that was a big thing of mine when I, when I first started too, was, um, 
cursor will be right back. I know this one's lagging a little bit. Um, <clears throat> just talking about finding your place in the industry if you're getting into building gear. There we go. All right. So yeah. So like learning how to build gear, it's important to to get other people's gear and look at how it's built, dissect it, see where see how they actually construct things, right? Because that's a that's a huge um, that'll give you a huge advantage when it comes to learning how things are made. Um, but when it comes time to actually selling a product, you need to develop your own stuff and figure out a way to, uh, to make it different than everyone else's. I think the first thing for me, I have, I have a couple right here for me. I don't know if anyone, I don't post a, a picture of this a lot. Um, but this is the kangaroo pouch that goes on the front of the chassis. Oh, cool. No one else does this. Um, but this is like what holds the magazines and it's an add-on pouch, right? And super simple concept. It just folds up in, in itself, you know, and then folds over. These tuck in, it folds over and it creates a box. But what's cool about this is that it makes putting in the magazine inserts very Oh, cool. Okay. So you, you can open it all the way up and uh, put in your, your insert and then close it up and you don't have to fight the Velcro the whole time that you're doing that. That's pretty neat. We're going to be uh, getting towards the end here. Uh, if you guys have any, any last minute questions that you want to fit in there, uh, we're happy to answer them. As we uh, wrap up with Tracer Tactical here, um, assuming he comes back. If not, uh, I, will, I will finish this out and we'll move on. <clears throat> nope, we got him coming back. Okay. So, yeah, anyone that has tried to put a magazine insert, the Velcro inserts, into like a Spiritus uh, Microfight or Haley a Micro Rig, uh, they understand how frustrating that can be with the velcro sticking on both sides and then you got to kind of like separate it uh you don't have that problem with this because the magazine cert just sticks right on and then everything kind of closes up around it like this right and then this part slaps onto the front and the flank strap holds it all on um, it makes building the rig very easy and you can get it perfect um but uh but that was that was me playing around like a lot of that that design came out of uh, what would be easy for me to build too. So, um, and it just worked like it, a lot of, uh, a lot of my designs are just me building and then I'm like, yeah, this works. So then I just run with it. Um, I know it's not like everyone else's, but that's what makes, makes it unique as well. So. Right on. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, if anyone has, and if anyone, and I welcome anyone that wants to get into this too, to, to DM me and ask me questions. And, um, I'm totally, you know, an open book when it comes to the process of, of doing things. So. That was neat. I hadn't seen, it, it's been a little while since I looked into your, your chest rig. So I didn't realize that it was uh, put together that way. That's, that's pretty neat. Yeah. So this is the chassis right here. So the chassis is like, this is like the foundation, right? And it's a simple this will take magnets as well. There is Velcro on the inside. Okay. Um, but 
that kangaroo pouch that I showed you actually attaches to this. Um, it attaches with the Velcro on the back. And then I have what's called a flank strap, which actually goes around and sandwiches behind this part on the Velcro. You can look it on, on the website, but I've done some videos. I got to do more. Um, that's the thing that I've probably been lacking in is like doing videos showing like how all this stuff goes together. Okay. Um, Cause I still get people you know, asking me like, how's, I'm not sure what I need, like what parts do I need? And I'm like, I got to figure out a better way to uh, get more self-explanatory. You are, you are never going to not get those questions. That's true. I, <laughs> That's true. I, I get a message. I think half of the messages that I get on, on videos are what plate will fit in what plate bag. Yeah. Or how do I put X, Y, and Z together? Uh, mm. So, like, the next one is probably going to be how to put a harness on an ABS, um, which I guess is not the most intuitive thing, but, like, I don't know, look at it for five minutes and it'll, it'll you'll figure I it mean, out. I mean, yeah, if you're new, if you're new to, to tactical gear, I can, I can see how it would become confusing, especially if you don't know, like, if you don't know how to use it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to know how to put it together. Like, how is it supposed to work if I, if I don't even know how to use it? So, um. I was uh, I was lucky enough to uh, come into the Marine Corps before we had phased things out. Like they were, like I was being issued Alice packs and stuff still when I was in. Um, in fact, both my my first duty station in DC, we were issued Alice gear and the old flak jackets, which were like oh, the man. huge <laughs> turtle shell things with the shoulder pads and everything. Yeah, those were the worst. Um, and then it wasn't <laughs> until I wasn't until I got to one five in Pendleton that we got issued like the newer generation Molly stuff. And then we started transitioning um, from the old camis to the new digital ones. Okay. So I was like one of the last cycles to get issued woodlands and black boots. Oh, that's rad. Yeah. I was, I was in the last uh, air force basic training that got woodlands. Nice. Like, the next week they got ABUs. <laughs> nice yeah I, 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 were you able to rock those for a long time while you were in yeah so i for whatever reason as much as i like i i ironically like abu now um i i i wore my woodlands until the last day i was allowed to yeah and in between there i had a deployment so uh, my first deployment, I actually bought DCUs so that I didn't have to wear the ABUs I was issued. But that that also kicked over while I was deployed, so I had to wear both while I was gone. <laughs> nice, yeah. I mean, it's in the in the military. It's like a you want to show off your salt, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a in the Marine Corps. We call it a boot. Like, if you're a new guy, you're a boot. So, like, uh, anyone who is more junior to you is a boot, and any way you can show your seniority, you're going to. So that's funny. So we got, I promised you a short one tonight. Um, so we got one question we'll take here and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts on companies making promises and taking forever to come to market? Uh, and the examples are like, uh, I think the Molly Spirit of Systems back panel, uh, T-Rex having sold out of stuff now and, uh, and, and the kind of the, the accessories that they hinted at, which they haven't dropped yet. Um, well, I can say from a, uh, knowing what goes into developing a product um, and then especially being able to deliver the quantities 
for that demand um, is a lot more, it's more difficult than people realize uh, because sourcing material, uh, the correct material can be challenging depending on the state of the industry. Like right now, uh, from what I've heard and talking with other people uh, and other builders and, and people who are like big companies who are doing this, um, the industry is insane right now. Like I said, everyone is kidding up because of the state of society with, you know, the uncertainty, civil unrest, people going after the second amendment, everyone's kidding up right now. Um, and these textile companies, especially if you're a company that is, you know, very compliant, um, it's all us source based. And so, uh, there's only a couple of mills that are cranking this stuff out. And I know T-Rex had some issues with their elastic um, and elastic can be very hard to get depend uh, very specific kinds. So there's like two different, two different kinds of elastic there's woven, which is like the really good thick stuff that people are used to with cummerbunds and everything. And then there's knitted and knitted elastic is a lot thinner. It's more stretchy. It snags. Um, it doesn't hold up as well, but what I've learned through this, through this, um, this process of, of buying material, working with material mill spec can be, it can be both, right? Something can be mill spec rated, but it is nothing like the product that you originally wanted. And like the same thing with color variants too. I've noticed that as well. So like, um, MMI, obviously one of the biggest textile companies in the U S supplying, uh, material to gear makers. Um, and they supply uh, gear maker, they supply material to all the big names um, that you can imagine. And, and they all actually hold the rights to very specific color patterns like Ranger Green, Wolf Gray. Um, those are, you can only, they're solution based dyed uh, products that you can only buy through MMI. There's other textile companies that you can get materials that are similar, but they're different. Like Brookwood is another textile company. They make a gray called tactical gray. I offer it on my website. It's a little bit different than wolf gray. Same thing with the green. It's different than ranger green. Um, but I was talking with another guy in the industry who works for a big company and he got a huge, a huge shipment of ranger green. Like I'm talking like, like several hundred yards of fabric and it was practically brown. And so if you were a company, say like Spiritus, and you received a huge shipment of material that was wrong. I can tell you this. I have been waiting for an order from MMI since November. I have not received it. Uh, another, another big company just got their, they got two pallets worth of MMI product today that they had placed an order for in November. That's how long it takes to source material sometimes. Yep. Um, this specific product was multicam black. Uh, and it's also a reason why, like, I'm starting to understand uh, when you start. I understand the, the, the way Spiritus rolls gear out, they, how they roll stuff out, right? So they roll, they, when, when they run a product, they will drop a ton of product, all multicam. And then they'll go all coyote or all multicam black or all wolf gray is because all of their sewers and all their machines, all their automation, they're bringing that stuff in from yep. these textile companies. 
and then they're running it through. It takes a lot of time to change the thread on a machine. That's probably one of the worst things you can do during production is to move from one color to another and then back to another. Like if I'm changing my thread, um, I actually just ordered a, another machine. I get it tomorrow. Another uh, Juki 1541, uh, 1541S. It's a $2,500 machine. Um, I've already got one in the shop now and I'm getting another one. And I'm setting that up specifically so I can have coyote thread and black thread because changing the thread takes a lot of time. It does. Yep. I mean, if I had my, eventually I'll get to a point where I can have multiple machines with multiple, you know, threads. And I just, I'd never change the thread colors. I'm just boom, 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 boom. I can bounce back and forth and, and sew things up in different colors, uh, quickly. Um, I'm also training a new person too. Um, so, uh, uh, I have a person that is helping me with fulfillment and then I'm also training her how to sew. So, uh, you know, we're, we are now growing by one slowly. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so like, I've also got another person that I'm, I'm looking at training. And so I'm, I'm trying to build up tracer tactical just so I can keep up with demand because like I said, I never thought it would be this crazy. Like it would grow this fast, but when it comes to, companies releasing product um it's a pain like it's it's very hard to especially companies like spirit is or t-rex that have these huge followings mm -hmm. and these these big demand for a specific product um they're cranking out you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these things and they're gone in a day and then it's like okay now we're back we're moving to this color or we're gonna do more of this color depending on how fast that stuff sells yeah. So if you're developing a new product, it's just a ton of, uh, uh, there's a lot of logistics involved when it comes to getting the material and also setting up your machines, depending on the, on the, uh, the product, like, you know, uh, what is it? Their thing too, which has the Tigris stuff. Um, they're laser cutting that. And so they're running these lasers and cutting, you know, tons of stuff, or maybe they're outsourced. I don't know what they're, I don't know how they do stuff, but a lot of companies outsource certain phases of manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And so someone could be doing laser cutting for them. And then like they get a laser that goes down or like a machine breaks and it's like a, you know, a $9,000 machine to fix it. And there's only one company in the world that is making these things. And like, cause I know Spiritus has some crazy automated machines. Like, uh, what is it? Their, uh, their CEO Zane, he posts some some photos uh, or some videos of like some of their automation stuff that's going on, like that's actually building the equipment. I can't imagine what a machine like that would cost. Like we're talking more than, you know, $10,000 or, or, you know, $20,000 for this machine that like lays the fabric down and the machine goes and sews it all up really fast and it's done and then it's on to the next thing. Yeah. Like to automate that process is very expensive. And so they're doing thousands of one product to offset the cost of you know the machine but it's crazy man it's a whole that's a whole nother world is 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 that type of volume and especially when you're you know you've got the market like that to yeah when you're going to release a new product you have to have the ability to release thousands of these things right so it's like i don't know that's 
it's a whole nother world. I'm not even in that world yet. So, and I don't even know if I'll ever be so. <laughs> right. Makes sense. Yeah. I guess, I, I mean, I think that was a, an awesome explanation and, and to take it a step further, right? Like if, if Spiritus has X, Y, and Z that they know, as soon as they post it to the website, it's going to sell out at, you know, 60, $70 an item or whatever for however many they make. Yep. Like it only makes sense that they're pumping it out as fast as they want to. Right. If, if they could, drop a hundred more tomorrow they would do it like they're not yeah i don't think they're sitting there and like building this artificial demand because the demand is clearly there until until they prove that it's not so like if yep. they could make it any faster they would so to to wrap this up i've i've started a um a trend of of asking two questions at the end uh one who would you recommend that I try to get on here next? And then two, uh, a parting piece of dad advice for the viewers. Um, okay, cool. Uh, I would like to see Taylor from dynamic fuzz on this. Okay. He's been, he's been awesome, uh, to work with and he knows a lot of people. Uh, he's, he's been in the industry a while too. So he, he is, uh, a huge source of knowledge when it comes to, uh, many things in the industry. Okay. Uh, I give him credit for getting me into the helmet or the, the helmet game and the, uh, 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 the contacts. So I was building out some, uh, some, com he sent me some contacts and now I have a set of amps. Um, but he's all into the communication stuff and, uh, he'd be a very interesting person to have on for sure. Nice. Uh, dad advice. Um, it's so hard being a parent is so hard. Um, and I'm not like the best dad ever, you know what I mean? Like I struggle still. And the best advice that I could say is, uh, something that I always, that I always try to, it's something that pops in my head all the time is like when my kids ask. I still, my kids are all still little, right? But my six-year-old, he's almost seven. He still asks me, hey, uh, pick me up, pick me up, pick me up. And so I'll pick him up. And even though he's he's getting big and he's heavy and everything, as long as I can pick him up, I'm going to pick him up. Uh, because eventually one day I won't be able to pick him up. And uh, as long as I can pick that, as long as I can pick up my kids, I'm going to pick them up and hold them and uh, uh, until I can't anymore. Right. I like it. Pick up That's your kids. Awesome. They ask you to pick them up, pick them up. <laughs> I like it. That's so simple. I love it. Well, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I know it's it's late there and, and I'm keeping you from sewing. So yeah, no I appreciate worries. it. And, it's been fun. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, sharing your time with everybody, all, all seven people that hung out so far and the <laughs> couple hundred that will watch it later. But yeah. I appreciate it. All right. Yeah, it was good to meet you, Derek. Thanks, man. You too. All right. See ya.